journey with many of you who call Clarity home and to be praying with you. It's just been really, really exciting, even just touching base with some of you to hear how um, God's speaking to you, uh, whether it's just the fact that uh, maybe for you, you've, it's been a while since you've had maybe consistent time with the Lord in prayer and scripture. And so for you, this was merely about just reconnecting with the one who has saved you and has washed you by his blood and has extended his grace to you. And so uh, for, for you, this is just like getting reacquainted with the one who loved you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die for you. And so that's always a good thing. Uh, but for some of you, it's been a good time for you just to even think about like, okay, uh, church is not only something that I'm a part of and that I go to, but it's, it's an opportunity for me to leave an indelible mark in the mission of God as he's making disciples who make disciples. And, and how does God make disciples? He does it through what? People, People right? So we've talked about that. Um, while you're still turning to John 17, if you're still not there, uh, I just have a quick real illustration. Does anyone know what this picture is of? Anyone know what that is? What is it? Workhorse. Workhorse. But is it, can anyone tell what the horse is doing? Pulling. Pulling. Okay. I didn't know what this really was. Evidently, in small towns in the Midwest and in the South, at state fairs, they have this thing called horse pull. Did you know that? Who, who knows? And just ashamed to not say, okay, you know what I'm talking about. What do they do? The main objective is to what? See how much, right, and how fast they can pull. Right. And so, um, and, I, you know, I really didn't know about this until uh, really about 20 years ago because there was an illustration in a book by uh, Dr. John Maxwell. Some of you may, may or may not know who he is, but it has a little of consequence. And, and here's how the story went. And it is actually a good story. And I, uh, like, I'm a, I'm a f- seven who goes to five on the Enneagram. Like, I'm going to health. So, I, like, I started doing a bunch of this research. Like, oh, what is a horse pull? And then, you know... Three hours later, I had like learned everything about horse pulls that you could and have watched several competitions on YouTube. Uh, so that's how I roll. But anyways, here's the illustration that uh, Dr. John Maxwell tells in his story. He said this, at a Midwestern fair, many spectators gather for an old-fashioned horse pull, which is an event where various weights are put on a horse-drawn sled and pulled along the ground, as you can see right up there. There it is. Um, the grand champion pulled a sled with 4,500 pounds on it. And the runner-up was close with a 4,400-pound pull. Now, some of the men wondered what the two horses could pull if hitched together. Separately, they totaled... Anyone know? Do the math. Yeah, about 9,000, right? But when hitched and working together as a team, and we got a picture here of two horse pulls, they pulled over 12,000 pounds. Okay, that's like our trailer. <laughs> um, and so, if you're like me, you probably heard all the inspirational teamwork cliches that exist, right? You, you know, we all know what that's like. And, and, and this might fall as another one of those, fall into line as another one of those, oh, okay, yeah, one of those cliches, well, you know, uh, you know, well, you know, together we're going to go further, you know, be stronger, accomplish more, and be more successful. Okay, all right. Heard that from my boss, too. Um, But here's the thing. Whether you think they're corny or not, the reason why you've heard these things is because it's it's actually scientifically true. (laughs) Like, like you can't argue with the science behind it. In fact, scientifically speaking, 
when people work together towards a common goal, you just don't add to the strength of a team. Uh, and here's the point. Unity actually multiplies strength. That, that's not an inspirational. That's just the fact, like scientifically speaking. Unity multiplies strength. And science not only supports this, but it's no surprise that the Scripture would talk about this. In fact, some of you had this Scripture, maybe read at your, your, your wedding, and it, and it says this, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. And if someone overpowers one, two can resist them. A cord of what? Three strands is not easily broken, right? And that's, and some of you, I did your wedding and you did the whole knot thing, you know, where you, one represent you and then the other one represent your spouse-to-be, and then, well, in the timeline, maybe I already did say man and wife. Ah, it doesn't matter anyways. And then the third strand, <laughs> here we go again. The third strand is, is what? The Lord and, and, and why, represents what? A cord of three strands cannot be broken. And so here's the thing. As we close out this series, what I want us to do is I want to I look at really what is probably uh, one of the most important things that we as a church could and should be in continual prayer about, uh, regardless of whether or not we're heading into this new season of our church or not. And, and what is it that we're praying about? Well, we're, we're going to be praying for unity, praying for unity. Now, for the past 21 days, as I said, I have asked all of us to consider praying about the future of this community of Christ followers called Clarity, and I've asked you to do this because I sincerely believe that God is asking us to come together for the sake of missional impact. We talked about what that is last week. But why? What to pursue securing a permanent facility for us. And before we even began talking about like how much is it going to cost or where this permanent location will be, which by the way, I just want to let you know, we have no answers to either of those questions as of right now, just so you know. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to ask all of us who are clarity to spend an intentional time of seeking the Lord together and praying specifically for his wisdom, guidance, and his provision, because that's going to take that. And so we started this series exploring what it would look like to pray like the early church, some of you there for week one, remember that? And, and, and we prayed for what? We prayed for Yes, boldness. Thank you for all one of you who were there. So we prayed for boldness like the earlier church did. And, and so each of you took home one of those prayer guides, and, and hopefully you began to pray boldly. And then in week two, we talked about how any prayer that God wants to answer through us starts with a prayer to God for him to do a work, what? Of renewal inside of us, Right? And so we prayed that God would do a work inside of our hearts. That the action of moving in obedience for the Lord doesn't come out of this say like, well, we better obey the Lord or we're not going to be going to heaven. But we do it because we have been gifted with salvation and God has extended his grace to us. And so when the Lord asks us to do something, we would go, but of course I would do it because you've changed my life. You've rearranged it. My values have changed. I don't want anything that is, is of my heart, but I want what you want, Lord. And so, of course. And that's a game changer, right? And then last week we talked about what it would look like for us to pray for the ultimate goal of everything that we do as a local fellowship, which is to have missional impact, or as we like to say, the ultimate goal of the church is to make what? Make 
Make Oh, there you go. Good job. So to make disciples, okay? That is our goal. And we talked about that last week, and we won't go into it. But today, what I want to talk about is really this last prayer. This last prayer. And, and you know, I already t- told you what it is. It's a prayer for unity. But I, I, maybe you knew this or not. And I think some of you who, who have been around the block with your Bible, you know that Jesus himself, this is actually a prayer he prayed first and foremost. And so... Let's just read what Jesus prayed, and then what I want to do is just maybe spend the next few moments together exploring this idea of what it would be like to be a a church that not only prayed for, but was committed to unity. And so here's what Jesus prayed. John 17, verse 20 to 23. Jesus prays this. I pray not only for these and a little context, if you're wondering what these is, he was particularly talking about the disciples who were already following him, the, the, you know, the, the Jewish believers, the many Jewish believers who had placed their faith and trust now in, in God through the person of Jesus Christ. So he says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So there were people who were now, who never saw Jesus or heard Jesus, that were believing in Jesus because of who? The disciples, right? And then this is what Jesus prays. Now, how many of you never saw Jesus, heard Jesus teach, but came to faith in Jesus because someone else, right? Okay, all right, okay. So we're all in good company. So Jesus is about to pray for you, (laughs) okay? Even before you took one breath in this life. So what does Jesus have to pray? Well, catch this. Here's what it says. May they all be what? One, as you the Father are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. And here's the big thing. So that. Everyone say so that. So that. So that what? So that the world may believe that you sent me. We'll talk about this in a little bit, but there is something more to unity than the goal of people getting along. There is an actual missional aspect to unity in the church. Jesus goes on, I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely what? One, okay, what is Jesus? He's praying a, a lot of words that have to do with one. And why? So that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And some of you, you know, you judge a lot when other people pray. You're like, he just prayed that, said that again. Well, just following Jesus, he prays twice that we would be one. Why? So that the world would know. You know, the funny thing is, as individualistic as many of us as Americans would like to imagine ourselves being, there is this unavoidable reality that we impact one another. Like that your life impacts someone, that my life impacts someone. Like what I choose to do with my life isn't just something that, you know, affects me, but in fact, 
it affects others. That one person's activity can impact someone else's life. And I think this is why Jesus prayed that his church would be one. This is because Jesus understood probably more than anyone that when God is up to doing something great within a community of faith, there will always arise opportunity for disunity. Now, I just want to let you know right off the bat, this isn't even in my notes, sometimes uh, people wonder, like, oh, why are we talking about this? Is there, is there issues? Like, no, this is something that we plan to talk about. This is something that we want to ahead of time talk about. I get the joy and the honor of serving a church. I, I, let me tell you, I've, I've been in the church world, well, probably not more than some of you, but more than a lot of you, and then I've been in, like, in vocational ministry, serving at various different churches. And I just need to brag, humble brag. Can I humble brag on you guys? Is, is that okay? I have not met a more unified people than Clarity Church. I, I mean that like, as, I, as honest as I can say, stepping from the outside. And it's been an absolute joy to raise my family with you. So this is not about like slapping anyone in the hand, okay? just so we know that. But here's the truth. When God is up to something great within a community of faith, there will always be an opportunity for disunity. For instance, when Jesus called people to follow him, there were those who said things like, Jesus, the carpenter from Nazareth, <laughs> what good can come out of Nazareth? Anyone remember that, right? John, John 1, 46. When Jesus began to wash the disciples' feet, anyone remember this? Where Jesus, Jesus was washing their feet? A lesson that he was trying to teach them about how they were to treat one another? Peter, Peter tells Tells Jesus what? No, you're not going to wash my feet, Jesus. <laughs> and, and then Jesus, you know, probably nicely as he can, goes, well, if, uh, if I don't wash your feet, then you uh, can't have a part of me. And uh, probably caught in his pride and trying to save face, Peter goes, <coughs> yeah, well, uh, fine then, uh, just, uh, just wash all of me. No, I don't think that's what he did, but anyways. Can we delete that from the podcast? That was, yeah, we'll do that. Okay. Soon after Jesus was uh, commanding the disciples to go out and make disciples of all nations, and the Holy Spirit comes down on power. We read this uh, a few weeks ago. And, and what happened? Thousands of people came to faith in Jesus. Like, this is move of God happening. Like, and, 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 and there was this move of God happening, and there was unity happening. And, and, and it wasn't even, listen, a year before an argument began to break out between, um, this is oversimplifying it, but basically the conservative and liberal Jews. An argument broke out, not even a year later. About what? <laughs> About who was being played the favorite in the passing out of food to widows. Like, it was a big deal. They had to get the leadership together, and they had to figure out, like, how to... It was like a... Di- Anytime God is up to doing really great things in and through his people, there is always opportunity for disunity to arise. In fact, in a letter to the churches in and around a city called Corinth, Paul writes this. Now, check this out. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 4 to 9, he goes, 
I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts he's given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Through him, God has enriched your church in every way. Everyone say every way. Every way. Every way. With all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. This sounds like a great church. Sign me up. I want to go there. This confirms that I had, what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift. Oh my goodness. The Pentecostals are like, let's go there. All right, man. You need, as you eagerly wait for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, he will keep you strong to the end so that you'll be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this for he is faithful to do what he says. And he's invited you into partnership with the son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now that sounds like a church God's doing some awesome stuff in, doesn't it? Yeah, we want to be that church, right? No, we don't want to be that church. Tricked you. I mean, there's nothing that could be wrong with the church that got praised like this, is there? Of course there is. In the very next verse, <laughs> it follows all of this. Here's what, Peter, here's what Paul says. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he dropped the God card. Live in harmony with each other. Well, he's just telling them to continue to do what they were doing, Phil. Hold on a second. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And just in case someone was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Paul. Yeah, we're doing that. Oh, yeah, we're doing that. He says... For some members of Chloe's house, why you got to call out Chloe's household like that? Jesus, forever, for like all of eternity, we'd be talking about Chloe's household. Now I don't even want to name my daughter Chloe anymore. For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your what? Quarrels. My dear brothers and sisters. Okay. So when God is up to something, something great within a community of faith, there will always arise opportunities for disunity. And the reason why I, I want to talk about this is because as we move forward in the next coming months, we're going to be rolling out and, and even working together more and more details about the plans for the search of a future permanent facility. And, and here's what I know. I can almost guarantee that there will be opportunity for seeds of disunity to be sown. Now, I should pause just for a second. Uh, if you're someone who doesn't believe everything you've heard about Jesus in the Bible, or maybe you're new with us, uh, this is family talk this week. Come back next week. We start a series, uh, a Lenten series, and you're really going to enjoy that. Uh, so if none of this applies, when I say you and you should and we should, you don't have to listen to any of that. You can be free, feel free just to kind of like watch on the sidelines as it seems like the pastor is like berating his congregation, right? Just, just laugh in the background. That'll be fun. But listen, if you call Clarity home, I, I just need to, ahead of time, there's nothing to be complaining about, but I just, I just should let you know that there's going to be an opportunity. I, I don't want to I don't want us to look at the future of what we're entering into with rose-colored glasses. I want, us, I want you to be <laughs> clear 
about where we're going and what we're going to expect. And this is why there's a great need for us to pray and for us to be committed to unity as a church. There has never been a more important time in this church's history to pray for and be committed to unity than right now. And we don't need to pray for unity because of the possibility of disunity as much as we need to pray for unity because at the end, unity brings God's blessing. In Psalm 133, it says this, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. If you don't know what any of that is, it's just really good. For there the Lord has commanded. Everyone say commanded. Commanded. The Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So here's a principle, if you didn't catch it. Where brothers and sisters in Christ choose to live in unity... Guess what God does? God does what? He commands his blessing. And as we read last week, when there was unity in the upper room, right? God poured out his anointing, and the Holy Spirit descended on them. And and when all was said and done, guess what happened? 3,000 people, 3,000 people came to faith in Christ And they were baptized. And then they became a part of the church, Acts 1 and 2. Don't forget, a few few weeks ago in Acts chapter 4 when we talked about that, um, well, actually, as the passage from week 1, remember the people were united after Peter and John got released from prison and they were praying and they were praying and they, they were united together and they were praying some bold prayers. And then this unity, what happened? It brought about the power of God. It's so powerful that even what the walls began to shake. It was through the unity of God's people that God commanded his blessing. And the history of the church will show us that through God's blessing, the, the poor And the sick were cared for, and the lame were made to walk, and the blind to see. It was through this unity of God's people that commanded God's blessing. And the whole world was turned upside down, never again to be the same because of God's blessing, the power of the gospel in and through the lives of his church into the world. Unity commands God's blessing. And unity is what has, what does, and what will bring God's power, God's blessing, and more importantly, God's authority in our lives. And this is why Jesus prayed. Heavenly Father, may they be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe. You sent me. Do you want the world to know about Jesus? If we are to be a church through which God accomplishes his mission in the world to make disciples that make disciples, then we have to be a church praying for and committed to unity. But here's the thing about unity. Everyone 
either works to contribute to or contaminate unity. Everyone. There's no like, I didn't do anything. There's no middle of the road. You either contribute to it or you contaminate it. This is because unity requires work. And what is that work? Well, I just have a couple things that I found as we look at the scriptures, and these are my own thoughts, and this is where I, I think might be helpful just for you to know that this is like scripture. This is not scripture, this is like Santillan, but I think these might be helpful, and so do your own study and see if it falls in line. But here are just some thoughts that I'd like to offer. What does that work? Well, I think unity, first and foremost, requires us to continually seek after God's kingdom. Like if we're going to be one, we need to be the kind of people who seek after God's kingdom. Matthew 6, 31-33, Jesus was telling his disciples, don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Where will our church be? How are we going to raise the money? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. It's kind of harsh. Unbelievers worry about where their church is going to be. Okay, it's just an illustration, okay? It was off the cuff. Leave me alone. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. And this is the point right here. What does he say? Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Some of you grew up with the King James Version that says what? Seek first the kingdom of God. And live righteously, and he will give you everything you what? Need. In his widely heralded commentary of the book of Matthew, um, Dr. R.T. France writes this about this verse we just read. He said, In that case, the idea of seeking God's kingship is best understood as another way of saying the same thing. Uh, he was alluding to some other stuff, but he goes, But it's basically this, resolving to live under God's direction and control. God's kingship means God's people living under God's rule. So, if we want to understand what does it mean to be the kind of people who seek God's kingdom, if we're going to be a unified church, we need to be a people who give up their rights to be the master and the ruler of their life and choose to, resolve to, live under God's direction and control. This is what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. And so we need to be the kind of people who, who understands what the, the writer of Proverbs wrote, probably one of my favorite Proverbs that I pray every single day. And it goes like this. A person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. That's my prayer. God, I made some plans today, but you need to order my steps. Practically speaking, we will be tempted along the way to insert our own opinions and biases. But at the end of the day, we have to ask, is the Lord moving us toward accomplishing his mission or are we simply seeking our own kingdom? We want to be unified. Unity requires us to continually seek after God's kingdom. Unity also requires us to grow in affection 
for one another. Romans 12, 9 through 10 says this, let love be without hypocrisy, or other translations it says, let it be genuine. Detest evil, cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. And some of you are like, well, <laughs> you should see our family. I didn't mean that one. I didn't mean the reflection of your earthly family. I meant the perfection of God's heavenly family. It says this, outdo one another in showing honor. First Peter 3, it also says this, finally, all of you having unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart, and a humble mind. In other words, unity creates a commitment to be known and to know, to care for and be cared, uh, to, 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 to care for and, and to be cared by those with whom you call your church family. And so the question is this, really, I mean, this is just a, an honest question. I mean, as you think over your time as part of this fellowship, how have you grown in your commitment to know and be known, because we all know it's a two-way street, by the people that God has brought into your life as your church family? Now, I get it. Some of you are like, well, I'm still checking y'all out. I don't know for sure if you're the church family God has for me or not. And that's, you're totally fine. But like, if you ever caught yourself saying, yeah, my church, clarity. You owe it to yourself to ask yourself this question. How have I played the role? How have I grown in being known and knowing those that God has called me to as a church family because unity requires us to grow in affection for one another. So how have you grown in showing care, allowing yourself to be cared for by the church that God has called you to? Unity requires us to grow in affection for one another. So we'll be committed to not only seeking God's kingdom, we'll be committed to growing in affection towards one another. But last but not least is this. Unity requires us to be committed to, and this is the hardest one, bearing with and forgiving one another. That's so important. Like, I, I don't want you to miss this. Colossians 3, verse 12 through 15 says this. Paul was writing this letter to the church in Colossae, and he says this. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, Paul prescribes this because he knows we need to be reminded of this. Okay? And then he says this, make allowances for each other's faults. Make allowances. When's the last time you made an allowance instead of quickly jumped to judge? Make allowances for each other's faults. And then correct them and show them the right way to do it. And then berate them until they change their ways and tell them that, that if they don't do it, you're not going to be their friend anymore and you won't share your lollipops. Right? No, that's not what it says. What is it? Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. 
yeah, but well, you know what? It's in, um, you know, it was, it was really bad. It was, I think it was really disrespectful, Paul. And just, I just can't believe, I mean, a Christian would do this. And, and, and how in the world, I mean, of all the people who did it, remember, the Lord forgave you, and so you must forgive others. But what about Paul? Remember the Lord. Okay, I know. But you can understand. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect what? Harmony or unity. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in our hearts for as members of what? One body you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. In an article for uh, what's called the Reformed African American Network, um, uh, pastor, uh, author, speaker, his name is Dr. Jarvis Williams, uh, I thought he wrote a great peace on this idea of unity in the church and why unity in the church must be centered around Christ. You can read the whole article for yourself. If you need it, I'll send you the link. But here's an excerpt of what he writes. He said, often Christians wonder why certain people refuse to trust in Jesus by faith. There are all sorts of complicated answers to that question, but one answer is because of the disunity within the church. To clarify, disunity in the church does not excuse unbelievers from God's judgment if they refuse to follow Jesus. However, disunity in the church is a reason that some people are pushed away from the Christian faith. When churches fight, bicker, and divide, they provide no, no, no incentive for unbelievers to come to faith in Jesus. It seems like he's a guy that has read Jesus' prayer that says, let them be one so that the world will know. Because conversely, it must be true that if they are not one, then the world will believe what? That Jesus was not real. You know, though I've never led a church through something like what we're going to be doing in these next few months, I have been part of many churches, both as a church member and as a person on staff, that have gone through what I think we're going to be going through in the next few months and the next few years. And here's what I know will happen. And if you've been around the church block for a while, you know this to be true too. Inevitably, someone will speak their mind. Well, I think that. And then someone will go, oh, I'm just offended by you. Someone will confuse their opinion for truth or mistake facts for opinion. <laughs> that's just their opinion. Well, no, that's actually true. And someone will lose patience. Someone will be annoyed. Someone will try to power up and use their experience, age, position, or influence to push their agenda while some will choose to retreat into the shadows, not wanting anyone to judge them for not participating and being part of this next season of the church they call home. 
and they're going to want to be quick. Uh, we're going to want to be quick to both judge the person who tries to power up and judge the person who seems to just quietly disengage while enjoying all the benefits <laughs> of the body working together. We're going to want to judge. We're going to want to not make allowances. We're going to want to be offended. And then there will be some of those who accuse us after chasing after brick and mortar. While others will go the opposite way and will push too hard to make everyone be as passionate about what God has placed a passion in their heart for us in this next season. Both are wrong. Both are offensive. Both contribute to disunity in the body. If we want God to accomplish his mission through us, we must remember that unity requires us to be committed to bearing with. Oh, he did it again, said it again. Oh, Jesus, help me. That's a good prayer, by the way. <laughs> he will help you. And forgiving one another. Can't believe he said that. Can't believe doesn't even serve. I don't think he's ever given, ever. Oh my goodness. How dare they? <laughs> Just a face. Right? So offended. So offended. What each one of us does contributes in a profound way to the experience of church. The decisions you make and the actions you take affects the church that you're a part of, whether you realize it or not. And because we know how God uses his church to influence a community with the gospel, how we live, either in unity or disunity, affects, affects how a community, a city, a region, a world, it affects how everyone within our spheres of influence interprets who Jesus is. That should bother you. And unity's greatest accomplishment, unity's greatest accomplishment is not allowing people to sing kumbaya behind a, you know, around a campfire. Unity's greatest accomplishment is allowing the people of God to get out of the way of the purposes of God to make disciples by making the reality of the gospel of Jesus so clear that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the greatest power of unity within a church. That disciples would be made. So, the band's going to come up, and uh, I just want to invite you to stand. Just stand with me. I'm not going to make you stand too long. And what we're going to do in the next few moments is, I would hope, it's an invitation. It's an invitation for all of us to confess in worship a surrender, 
a surrender to God's will and a confession and a, of our commitment to living in unity with each other. And uh, my hope and prayer is that all of us would make Jesus' prayer, above all, our prayer today. That prayer that says this, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me.